0: Listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winterhaven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Ephesians is where we have been. And that's where we're going to pick up today in chapter number five. So to kind of catch you up if you hadn't been. If if you're visiting with us, by the way, please know we're honored to have you. It's a thrill to have folks that are here with us. If it's your very first time visiting with us, you should have gotten a little connection card. And when you get finished with uh, writing that in, whatever information you want to give us, make sure you take it to that back table right in front of the sound booth. We've got a gift we want you to take home that'll have some stuff in it that reminds you of us so that when the weekend rolls around, you go, hey, I kind of want to go hang out with those folks again over on the southwest side of Winter Haven, and we'd love to have you back. It'll also give you some information about how to connect with us and uh, to know about the things that are happening and going on, and we want you to be well-informed. Ephesians chapter number five is a continuation of Paul's instruction to Christians, followers of Jesus, folks that have have committed their heart and life to Jesus, the crucified and resurrected one as Savior and as Lord. Paul has written a letter to a group of Christians who live in the city of Ephesus while he's under house arrest in Rome. He planted this church. He started this church. He spent a couple of years with this church, and so he's just wanting to encourage them even though he can't be physically with them. And so he's writing this letter. In the first three chapters, the first half of the book was to encourage them and remind them of who they are in Christ and what was theirs in Christ. They, they were reminded that they've been redeemed, that they've been, they've been, uh, they've been loved by God and, and set apart by him and sealed by the Holy Spirit and provided with all of the necessary resources spiritually to accomplish everything that God calls them to do and to be. And so Paul has spent the first half of this letter just really charging them up and reminding them of who they are are in Christ. And they want them to walk that out in real time, in real life, not just know this and keep it to yourself, which is what a lot of folks in our culture want Christians to do is it's fine if you want to believe in Jesus and you want to pattern your life by him. Just don't talk about it, if you will, and just don't talk about it to me. And, and unfortunately, that's just not how it works. Paul says, look, now that you are who you are in Christ, you're one of God's children. You're an heir and a joint heir, and you're with him and in him. Now you got to live that thing out as we present the gospel to those we come into contact with in our Daily walk. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter number four, five, and six, these are instructions on how to act, how to live, what to do as a follower. Of Jesus. It would be inappropriate for someone who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, who wouldn't consider themselves a Christian, to open up to Ephesians chapter number five and say, This is what God wants me to do in order to be loved by Him. In order to be His child, I've got to do these things. That would be an incorrect understanding. Unfortunately, too many Christians have put that method in front of people that God wants to save you, but you've got to do these things in order to be worthy of his salvation. That's not how it works. None of us are worthy. None of us bring anything to the table. We're all sinners broken completely and fully, and by God's love, grace, and mercy, he has brought us into relationships with him through the death and resurrection of Jesus, so that through his work and his movement in our life, we might be his children. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's done for me, completely and wholly of God's work received by faith in Jesus, the crucified and risen one. But once I am a part of the family, then Paul says, this is what it looks like to walk it out. So when we get to chapter number five, he begins to talk about our walk again. He's using this term walk to, to describe how we live. What is our, our norm? How do, how do we just function in life? Our normal routine, the, the way it is habitually about us as we live our life, he says that we're to walk in love in these first few verses of chapter number five. Let's just read chapter five, verses one and two. If you got your Bible or your, your, uh, your eye device, your your smartphone it's got you version you should have some outline there as well here's what Ephesians 5 1 says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God just want to deal with two verses today as we look at what it means to walk in love. Now, in chapter number four, where he makes the corner and he says, okay, I've told you who you are in Christ. Now let's talk about how we live this out. He says that we are, as followers of Jesus, to walk in unity. It should be our desire, since, since through the work of Jesus, he has destroyed all of those things that divide us, any of those things that are, that are wedges in our life, whether it's racial or gender or age differences, uh, cultural differences. Jesus broke all of those things down and says that all come to God through me. And, and all of those cultures and all of those races and all of those differences about us come to him as a beautiful mosaic of the creation of God and how we fit together in this realm of humanity. Everyone comes to God through me, and guess what? I see you all as equal before me, so don't be divided anymore. So he says that our walk as followers of Jesus, because we are followers of Christ, we must pursue unity. And then he moves on and says, now, as you pursue unity, then I want you to consider your holiness. Now unfortunately some of us grew up thinking in order to be okay with God that we had to act and do and go and not go and and certain things had to be order in order for us to be okay with God. Being okay with God depends on whether or not I'm his child or not. You know my kids are always okay with me because they're my children. They're always going to be my children. And so they are a part of my family and nothing is going to change when it comes to who they are. And they look to me, it doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day, if it's a happy day, a sad day, or a mad day. If they look at me and say, am I good with you? And I say, yes, you're good with me because you're my child and nothing's going to change that. But there are days in the life of my children, there have been days in my life as a son of my parents when the fellowship wasn't as sweet as other days. And that typically happens when I go away different than the way they've set before me. The way they've set before me was clear, it was understandable, and then I decided to go a different way while I'm okay with them because I can't send my way out of the family, the fellowship was broken. It wasn't as sweet. The relationship was, was a bit out of order. And that's kind of what Paul was saying as he says, as followers of Jesus, we need to pursue holiness. Because what ends up happening, when we come to know Jesus as Savior, sin's sin's captivity on our life is broken. We're we're no longer a slave to sin. We no longer are owned by the enemy. We no longer are, are determined to go the way opposite to the holiness of God. We've been set free. We've been brought in the family. But we still maintain this flesh with all its desires. And there are times, Paul says, and he laid out a few, about four or five instances where the way we used to be shows up in our new life. And Paul goes, You've got to remember that's not who you are anymore. You need to stop telling lies and begin telling the truth because you've set aside that old way of lying. That was a part of coming to Jesus. You're not who you were anymore. You're who you are in Him. So you need to set aside lying and falsehood. You, you need to set aside the, the, the anger that normally boils over into multiplied sin. He said, Get mad at things that are unjust, but don't let it lead to sin. Because that just looks and sounds like the old you. You need to put all of those things aside and then those things that follow like bitterness and and clamor and slander and unforgiveness, you need to set that aside and remember that you've put on the kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness of God because that's who you are. So as followers of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you should not only pursue unity, you should pursue holiness because He's provided all we need to follow the way that he set before us. We've just got to decide on any given occasion to act on it. Today, he says, or it's the same time he was writing, but today we're going to look as he moves from unity to holiness and now to love. The way of love. This word is massively misunderstood in our culture, just for a second. It doesn't matter what kind of music you like, country, classic rock, uh, you know, 80s, the best music ever made, Um, uh, any, any genre where there's lyrics. Now think about how many songs you could hum or sing that talk about love you got it that song that you love by that band that you followed may even have a t-shirt of went to the concert yelled that talks about love now let me ask you something does the love they are speaking of mean this to extend love irrespective or of merit and to seek the ultimate and highest good of the one being loved to extend love to the one irrespective of merit and to seek its highest and ultimate good of the one being loved is that the kind of love that your song talks about probably not Probably the love your song talks about is the love that we talk about that's just expressed physically. And it might not even be with somebody you even know real well. Because so many songs talk about love in the context of a a summer fling that I came across one afternoon that extended into a couple weeks. Can I tell you, that's not the love God's talking about this word that he's calling us to, this walk, this lifestyle, this way of living is the kind of love that God extends. It is is an affection for without merit for. It's real easy to love someone who loves you, but it's very difficult to love someone who hates your guts. In fact, it's sometimes even hard to be nice to somebody who hates your guts. You know why? Because we want reciprocal love. We want love to be reciprocated. I love you. You love me. That's where we get this idea of marriage being a fifty. 50 commitment if you if you're building your marriage on 50 50 you scratch my back i'll scratch yours then you are doomed in your marriage because there are going to be times when your spouse will simply refuse to love you but that's not the love that god has called us to God has called us to the agape love that he extends to those who don't deserve it. And in their not deserving it, he's seeking their highest good and will do whatever it takes to arrive there. Matthew. Chapter number 22 and verses 34 through 40, I won't read all of them, but in verse number 36, one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers of the law, trying to trap Jesus says, all right, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Well, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he was hoping that he would pick one that he could could try to trap him on. And Jesus said to him that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment commandment and of course that was the Sunday school answer right that was that was absolutely the right answer to love the Lord your God with all your heart but then Jesus goes and the second is this that you should love your neighbor as yourself on these two Jesus said depends all of the laws He says, I can can tell you what the greatest one is. Love the Lord your God above all else. Don't put anything before your love for your creator. But don't miss this. What ties that together in our context with one another is that as we love God, we must love one another. Because one of our expressions of loving God is how we love one another. Romans Uh, 13 verses 8 through 10 you you can read those on your own time but but Paul is talking about how all of the commandments are there that that we're not to we're not to murder we're not to commit adultery we're not to steal we're not to covet we're, we're not to do all of these things but but all of that is summed up in how we love he says the way we love one another is the fulfillment of all the law because that is what God is desiring from his people is to express love to those around them in the same way he has loved us one of the verses that that i love that i find to be very helpful and 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 you'll hear a lot in men's ministry context is first corinthians chapter 16 verses 13 to 14 and here's what it says it says be watchful stand firm in the faith act like men be strong Man, that's four. I mean, those are four punches. I mean, bam, bam. I'm just right left. And it's, it's awesome reminders in the context of a, of a men's ministry. It's like, look, be watchful. Stand guard. Know what's going on around. Stand firm in the faith. Don't let yourself be wishy-washy on the things of God. Look, act like a man and be strong. But the one that comes right after it, in verse number 14, is the most difficult. Let all that you do be done in love. All right, let's all just do a little bit of an experiment right here, okay? I just want you to pick out a couple of things that you did this past week. Just a couple of things that, 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 that you did that you accomplished. Were those things done in love? And if your answer is a resounding, of course, well then what you've done is you've picked out some of the highlights of your week. Now think about some of the low things of your week. Think about when you were at your lowest this week. Where was love in that? Like where was that extending love irrespective of merit? Where was that seeking the highest good at your lowest part this week? You see, what Paul is saying to us today in these two verses is something that none of us are so good at that we can just kind of check out and go to Instagram while he finishes talking about what he's talking about. This is so important to each and every one of us if we know Jesus as Savior because this is going to probably be one of the most difficult things we do in life. Living a life of love. But that's when we've been called to. And, and you say to yourself, Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm not capable of loving. I'm not capable of, of extending God's kind of love. I want to argue with that and point you back to chapter number one, where, where Paul has says God's provided all of the benefits and blessings you need. To accomplish everything he's called you to. What has he called you today? Walk in love. Let your life as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, hey, you'll be nice and folks will like you, but it's not imperative that you walk in love. But if you are a follower of Jesus, God says, okay, here's how I want you to live that out. I want your life to be marked and characterized by love. Now, here's what he's called us to in verses 1 and 2. Verse number 1, we've been called to imitate the Father's forgiving love. You say, how do you arrive at that? Well, I think what Paul is doing here in verse number 1, I think he's looking backwards to what he said in the last few verses of chapter number four. Because, you know, Paul's not writing chapters and verses. He's not looking back at verse number three. He's just, I think he's looking back at what he had said last in involving the pursuit of holiness. Here's what he says in verse number 31. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Think about it. And then think about your weak. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. You, you might not have done all of those things, but I would be willing to bet real cash money that you thought about most of those things. You imagined what it might be like if you could actually act on them and the joy that would fill your heart if you could do that malicious thing that you sure would want to do to give back. Paul said, put that stuff aside and rather put on kindness, tenderheartedness. Verse number 32 of chapter 4. Kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness as God in Christ forgave you. So I think when when Paul says, now I want you to be an imitator of God in verse number 1 of chapter 5, I think he's thinking about what he just said about God being a forgiving God. One writer says that nothing demonstrates love greater than forgiveness. Nothing demonstrates love more than forgiveness. He says, I want you to be an imitator of God as beloved children. Being an imitator has the idea of becoming. It's it's not like, You've got to be this because it it might not be something that you can immediately be. It's like, be healthy. Well, I, I might not be able to be healthy, but I can become healthy. I can make choices that are more healthy for myself and or for my family. And I can become, and that's what Paul is saying. I want you to become an imitator of God as Dear children, become as you continue to grow, as you pursue unity, as you pursue holiness. I just want you to see yourself as being an imitator of God, specifically, I think, in the area of forgiveness, as beloved children. Now, it's not uncommon for a child to have characteristics of his parents. How many times have you seen a child or seen a set of children, and you look and you look at the parents and you go, wow, they are a carbon copy of you or her or whoever that they, you can't, I can't tell you how many times that, that I've been in stores with my kids and, and the person on the other side of the counter says, can't deny them kids, you know, and it's cause why? Cause they, they have characteristics that look like you. Sometimes they even begin to sound like you. I found it, it very, Uh, very uh, joyful when I would grab the telephone at my mom and dad's house and I would answer it and people on the other line would think I was my father. I found that very gratifying. Most specifically because for the majority of my childhood, I would answer the phone and they would think it was my mother. So it was great to move from her to him. You know, so, so I, I've been told that there are times when I'll say certain things that, that my friends will look at me and say, that sounds just like your daddy. Even now, I'll say things to my family or I'll say things that, that are, that are within a group of, a context of a big group and I'll say something for a particular reason and in my mind I'll go, that's something my daddy would say. Cause it's natural for kids to look and sound and think and act like their parents. But that's not what Paul is calling us to. He's not saying just you're going to naturally look like your heavenly father. Rather, what he's saying is I want you to imitate your heavenly father like a beloved child who is secure and confident in the love of his father. Now, there's something awesome about your, you know, when your toddlers begin to, to, to talk, you know, and then they, they begin to just, They kind of fall in love with mom and dad. Like mom and dad do everything and it's just perfect. And if you have kids, you know that that is a a real special time in life because they see you apart from your faults. It's awesome. I mean, they think you're perfect and you know you're not. And then they hit middle school and they begin to discover that you're not perfect. And somewhere between middle school and high school, they begin to remind you that you're not perfect. And then they, some of them actually even want to leverage that on their behalf and then somewhere you know when they reach their 20s and beyond then they start you know coming back to you know they're, they're giving you a little bit more grace when you have a good father when you have a good mother ha- have you ever thought in, in a time of your life man I just I want to be like them because I just, you know, the way they do and the way they operate, the way they run their business, the way they handle the home, the way they, the way they love it. I just want to be like them. I can remember when I, when I was in my, my teenage years, I can remember stating that, that I just, maybe one of these days I want to be half the man my dad is. Because that would, that would be a success. To me and, and I meant that, and I mean that I do want to be like him in many respects, because of the example that he set before me, but because of the love that he extended to me. I just want to be like that. Paul says that's the thing we ought to be pursuing. We ought to be pursuing to imitate our heavenly Father because we 're experiencing so much of his love that we just want others to know that. If they don't know him, we want them to know him through us. Paul says we walk in love when we watch what our father does and we imitate. And I think he's specifically talking about forgiveness. Someone has not only said that the greatest evidence of God's love is in our forgiveness, but he also said that the extent of our love is often the extent of our forgiveness. We won't love beyond what we're willing to forgive. Wherever we draw that line and we say, no more, I'm done with you, I'm, I'm drawing this line, I, 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 I no longer am going to, to point myself in your good direction, then that's where we stop loving. And I think that's a very telling statement. Think about how God loves us through forgiveness. He continues to love us even when we continue to sin and fall short of his glory. Anybody, any follower of Jesus fall into that category this week? You say, well, you know what? I, 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 I was sinning this week and I sure felt short of his glory you know what every follower of jesus should be raising hands standing up shouting hallelujah that's me and you know what god continues to do love us unconditionally no no matter how much you sin this week god's love for you did not change now your fellowship with him most certainly has because you've decided to go away contrary to his desire and and his purpose and plan for your life. And so it's not like you're coming home and God's turning a blind eye to what you... No, God saw it. It's not okay. He'll forgive it if you confess it, but if you just want to sit in your sin, then things are not going to feel okay with your father. But he still loves you just the same. He continues to love us when we forget him. When folks forget you, what, what is it real easy to do? Write them off. Well, you forget me, I'm going to forget you. Hey, that's a two-way street, 50-50. You're not loving me, I got no obligation. So forget me, forget you. We forget God all the time. We set him aside and take his place and, and step into his arena all the time. And you know what he does? He continues to love us without change. He continues to love us when we disobey, when we know what to do and choose not to. He continues to love us. He continues to love us when we deny him. And we want to throw Peter up under the bus because when when it was at the height of the time that Peter should have been been, uh, affirming Jesus, just like he said he would in the upper room, what is he doing? He's saying, I don't even know him. I don't know him. Y'all better get away from me. I don't even know who it is you're talking about. And you know what? Jesus never did stop loving him. He just kept on. He continues to love us when we fail to return his love. He continues to love us when in our sin we continue and grieve the Holy Spirit that dwells with us. He continues to love us. too often Christians have taken that and said, well, what that means is that I can go and do and be whatever I want to do because he doesn't change in his love for us. Are you going to give that same thumbs up to the husband or the wife that says, well, if she's going to keep loving me, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing that's breaking her heart. No, you're not. But the bottom line is that God never ceases to love. God's love never lessens no matter what we do. He continues to love. And it's that forgiving love. Forgiveness is messy. And forgiveness doesn't always mean. Uh, In fact, I don't think it ever means to just subject yourself to continual abuse, but it's messy and forgiveness always means letting go of my right to hold this over you so that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom can handle it according to his will forgiveness is a great marker of our love and sometimes it is the line drawn and God has called us to imitate him as dear children not only has he called us to imitate the father's forgiving love but he's called us to model the son's Sacrificial love. Verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't worry, we're not getting back into that. We've talked enough about that in Ephesians. He's foreknew us and predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. The whole of the Christian life is about reproducing godliness as seen in the person of Jesus in our life. Like God's whole process in our life is to push the character and likeness of Jesus out in us. So that when people are in and around us, they would hear the things that Jesus would say. They would see the things that Jesus would do. They would experience the things that Jesus would bring to the table on their behalf for their highest good, without merit that they're bringing to it. He's calling us to love like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, to live like Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life. He's trying to push Jesus out in our life in real time as we live our real life circumstances. Plug your job, plug your family, plug your neighborhood and HOA, plug your ball team or whatever you're doing. And the Holy Spirit is about pushing Jesus out in those circumstances in our life in every way. And Paul is saying... That the aspect of Christ's sacrificial love is something we are to pursue. Jesus' love was demonstrated to us as he gave himself, the verse says, and gave himself up for us willingly and intentionally. Nobody took Jesus by the shoulders and drug him to the cross. Nobody had to beat him up and and get him to a place where they could manage. Nobody had to wrestle with him on that cross to get him to hold his arms and legs down. He wasn't kicking and screaming. He wasn't cursing his executioners. He didn't deserve what he received, and yet he laid down his life willingly. Why? Love. No other word for it. Love. Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christian, we've been called to imitate God's forgiving love. We've been called to model Jesus' sacrificial love. the Old Testament sacrifices. In Leviticus, you'll find in the first five chapters, there's like five of them. There's the, the burnt offering, there's the meal offering, there's the peace offering, and then there is the sin offering and the guilt, those five right there. So so, uh, burnt, meal, peace. These were offerings of worship in Leviticus 1-3. Three, I think those are, are, are uh, they're described, told, they're, they're prescribed, how you're to do these things. And in each one of those offerings, as God is describing through Moses to the people how they are to make these offerings of sacrifice of worship, it says that these things are a sweet and pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, I don't think that the smell of blood, I don't think that the sweat and all, that's not what it is. It's the heart of the worshiper coming to the creator and worshiping through the means of sacrifice, giving of what was theirs, giving of the best of what was there, giving of the first of what was there, and offering it to the Lord in a sacrifice of worship the scripture says that's a pleasing aroma. Don't you like a pleasing aroma? I mean, you know what those things They're just, they smell. We, we, we have entire stores that, that are about smelling good. The bath and the body people and the, you know, whatever that other one is. And they, they've just got the, everything. You go in and you're just, you're knocked down because they're about the pleasing aroma. And, and, and what Paul says is that the sacrifice of Christ. The offering of Christ for you and for me was a sweet smell to his father. Now, I think this is important to hear and difficult. There's a lot of talk about injustice in our world right now. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we should be champions of justice no doubt about it. God is a, he's a just God and we should be champions of justice. But was there anything just about God the Son taking on my sin and yours? Like, like that's human history's most unjust act. Now you could argue theologically, you could say, yeah, yeah but Kevin, God placed our sin on Jesus. And so God's justice was satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice. And I would say to you, touche. That is correct. But was there any justice for Christ in that? And the answer to that is absolutely not. Yet in all of that injustice, That he experienced there was a pleasing aroma to the Heavenly Father because of what was being accomplished. Now, follow me. If you're going to demonstrate love to folks that don't deserve it, if you're going to demonstrate love to folks that won't reciprocate it to you, if you're going to demonstrate love in a sacrificial way, there are going to be instances where your extending love is going to bring about injustice for you you're going to be treated in a way, you're going to be seen in a way, you're going to be assumed in a way that's not going to be right and not going to be correct. But in your loving, the Father says, that's a sweet smell to me. At the very least, because what we're doing here is merely temporal, but extending love to those that don't deserve it, walking in the love of God in front of people that's preparing eternal ramifications. And God goes, can't get enough of that. You demonstrating love to those who hate you. God said, it looks, it looks like my son. You extending love when it won't come in return. That looks like my son. That pleases my heart. You sacrificing yourself for the highest good of those who would never do that for you. And God says, I can't get enough of that because that is the character of my son. And guys, that is what we've been called to. To demonstrate, to walk in love in a world that is unlovely. I'm going to straight steal a phrase from Andy Stanley. He is great at coming up with these statements that just kind of boil it down. I don't know if he has help or if he's just smart like that, but I'm just going to steal it because he has has utilized this phrase in a number of series that he's preached on love. And here's what it boils down to. It's the question that these two verses bring to us every minute of every day in every circumstance in every opportunity if you are a follower of Jesus and here is the question what does love require of me now let's just take some examples when I am tired and I don't feel good and a circumstance a circumstance arises and my go to is to bark to grunt to grumble to snap if you are a follower of Jesus the question that God is pulling at your heart says what does love require of you when i'm frustrated When I'm angry, and and it's about something legitimate. I'm legitimately frustrated. I'm legitimately angry about something that's unjust, just plain not right, and it ought not be this way. The question for the Christian is, what does love require of me? When I've been wronged, when I've been treated unfairly, when I've been treated unjustly, when someone has done something that has offended me to the max, the question is, what does love require of me? When the situation is, I feel like I'm being used. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. The question is, What does love require of me? When I want to just ignore the situation, I see it. I want to just pretend like it's not there and go about my way, you know, out of sight, out of mind. What does love require of me? When I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and they just won't respond. What does love require of me? On social media, what does love require of me? At the family reunion, what does love require of me with the ex spouse with the ungrateful children or grandchildren what does love require of me in the political discussion are we listening what does love require of me the two big points That we see in these examples, if we're going to imitate the Father, it's going to be forgiving love. If we're going to imitate the Son, it's going to be sacrificial love. Extending love, irrespective of merit, and seeking the highest good of the one being loved. At my own personal cost. And God says. Now that looks like me. So if you know Jesus as Savior. Remember what we are in Christ. But remember. Our responsibility. To walk it out. In love. Now I'm going to pray. And I know good and well. everybody in this room who knows Jesus as Savior needs to do business with God about how we love. But I also want to give an invitation to those who may have never trusted Jesus as Savior. You've never been more loved than by the one who gave himself up for you just like you are. And then he says, I want you to come to me Just like you are. And I want you to receive the love that has been demonstrated by the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want you to come just as messy, stinky, sinning as you are. And I want you to wrap yourself up in my love. And I'm going to change you. You're going to set aside that old you. I'm going to give a new you to you. I'm giving you a new purpose, a new, a new outlook, a new destiny. I want to save you. I want to bring you into the family. It can only be done by faith in what Christ has done for you in your place and for your sin. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. It is challenging for us to love. God, I pray that you will help us to see where love is most absent in our life as your children. Where we operate in the way that our our feelings and our emotions tend to lead us, our reactions are, are more fleshly, more like we sound than like you sound. Help us to see where love is most absent. God, give us the courage to walk out your love through us on purpose, intentionally, forgiving, sacrificing so that we might be a sweet-smelling offering for you. It's messy. It's it's how to figure that out, what love looks like, and that's what we're here for, to walk that out together. But I pray you'll give us the desire, the want to, To reflect your love. The love of your son. In every circumstance. God honestly. I can't imagine what that would look like. If we all practiced that. On purpose. But I think it would be pretty awesome. So I pray that you would move our hearts. In that direction. That we might want to follow you. Imitating your love. For your glory. God I want to pray for that one who's not yet trusted Jesus may today be the day that they just simply surrender say God I believe what you said about me I know I'm a sinner but I believe what you've said about yourself I believe that you love me and I believe God the son paid for my sin in his death and resurrection I believe he's alive I believe he got up from the dead I believe his death and resurrection is sufficient for me and God I want to be your child I want you to save me forgive me change me make me new got I pray that that one that's outside the family might call on the name of the Lord and have the confidence that they, too, have been redeemed. We love you and we trust you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Praise the Lord, His mercy is full In